Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, this is week number four in a message series called The Jealous Heart of God. If you've been with us for any of the first uh, two or three weeks of this series, you've heard us talking about how you know, God reveals himself to us in the scriptures as jealous. That's kind of a weird thing. We don't think of God as being jealous. And we've talked about how God's jealousy speaks to passion. God has initiated with us. God has, if you're new to church or you didn't hear any of these first few weeks, God has walked across the dance floor and held out his hand to you and said, come on, let's dance. Let's do this. Let's go. Let's, let's enter a wonderful, beautiful, passionate relationship. And we've also talked about how our response to that often goes like this. That sounds awesome. I love you too. Just maybe let's be friends. It's nice to have God as a friend. God is omnipotent. It's good to have an omnipotent friend. This is a good thing. So we kind of like to keep God. It's nice to be friends with God. I know lots of people that aren't friends with God, so I'm doing, I'm, I'm doing pretty good if I'm friends with God. But we kind of like to keep God at arm's distance. And we've spent a good deal of time in a passage of Scripture where Jesus is talking to the Apostle Peter about love. And we've talked about how in ancient Greek there are three words that render out to the English word love. Three different Greek words that all just get translated love. They are philos, eros, and agape. Philos is the love of a friend or the love of a brother. Eros is sexual love or erotic love. Agape is a different kind of love. It's a passionate, holy love. And when Jesus talks to Peter, he says, Peter, do you love me? And he uses the word agape. And when Peter says, Lord, I love you, he, but he, he doesn't return the same word. He uses the word philos. Peter keeps Jesus at arm's distance. He doesn't, he doesn't quite want to make the promise. Now, Peter's reasoning is very clear. Peter has very recently run his mouth and, and, and fallen short. Peter made big promises to Jesus and then ended up betraying him, denying that he even knew him. So Peter doesn't quite want to run that route again. He doesn't, he doesn't want to overpromise and underdeliver. He doesn't want to talk the big talk. So he keeps Jesus at arm's distance. Our reasons are different, most of us. If we're keeping Jesus at arm's distance, chances are we're doing so because we prefer to keep the relationship on our terms. God initiates, that's great. We got invited into a vast, amazing story, okay, but I've got a lot of other stuff going on. I might want to be a part of that, but I'm also going to keep my options open. It's kind of how we prefer to operate. Now, once in a while, sermon material that I'm, I'm delivering overlaps with things in my personal life. Uh, and I, you may know, I, I write my sermons months in advance, so I didn't know I was going to be where I am in my personal life as this message came across, but here's the deal. Many of you know, uh, some of you may know, I got divorced almost four years ago now. And, you know, it was a pretty, pretty difficult time, and last January, I started seeing somebody. And we've been together now, you know, uh, soon it'll, it'll it's, we're almost a year. And, you know, we've been talking a lot, spending a lot of time together. And 
Last week, I asked her if she would meet me for coffee. Um, <laughs> no. Um, I gotcha. Um, I actually did ask her if she would marry me. Yeah, so, yeah. Well, I didn't tell you what she said, so don't clap yet. So, it occurred to me, it occurred to me too late. I mean, she was kind. She didn't use the opportunity to be sadistic, but I'm down on one knee. I've got the, the box open and the ring's there, and I've asked, and I, I was just waiting for her to go, oh, I love you too, just not in that way. Like, she could have just got, but she didn't. She actually did say yes, so that's good. Yeah, good, good stuff. But it was an invitation into something deeper. It was the proposal of, I mean, it's not just a proposal, it's, it's a proposal, like I am proposing not just that we marry, I'm proposing that we start doing our life together, that we join forces as, as two different people in God's sight, and that now, like our lives become one in some way, and that is in some way what God proposes to you and I. He's invited you into some vast, amazing story, and she could have, in that moment, rejected the proposal. Now, I, I, most guys don't really propose these days unless they're absolutely sure they're going to get a yes, and I was pretty sure we were going to be okay, but she could have in that moment just gone, yeah, okay, listen, I, I like being in your life, but I think maybe better as friends. She could have said that. She didn't. Sometimes we say that to God, and we keep God at arm's distance, and could I just, um, oh, I just need to riff for a minute. This wasn't in my notes, but here's this. Even as I say, I just, okay, just give me a minute. Even as I say that I've gotten engaged, it occurs to me there are some of you in the room who were hoping you would be engaged by this point. And maybe you've been single for a very long time and you're, you're just sort of staying in your lane and once in a while you hear of somebody else getting engaged and you go, yeah, it's great, but there's also like, it, it kind of hurts you a little bit. I don't know who you are or what's going on, but God sees you, okay? God sees you, that is all. Now back to our regularly scheduled sermon already in progress. Okay, so. Um, she could have said, no, I'm going to keep this on my terms. She didn't. God has initiated with you. He said, let's go. I want to be in your life. I want you to be in my life. I want you to be all about me, and I want to be all about you, and we're going to do this together. I've given you a part to play in a vast, amazing story. I'm doing something vast and amazing, and I'm giving you the opportunity to be a part of it to honor me with your life, to serve the world around you, to love the world around you, to reflect my love and acceptance to the world. You have a part to play. It'll look different for every one of you, but you've been invited into something bigger than you. You have the opportunity to receive that and invite him in and walk with him, or you could just keep him at arm's distance and keep doing what you're doing. Last week, we talked a little bit about, about some, some verses in, in the prophet Isaiah, right? This week we're going to turn to a different prophet. This is the prophet Jeremiah talking about how all this works and why we sometimes behave that way. This is Jeremiah chapter 2, beginning at verse 10. Go west and look in the land of Cyprus. Go east and search through the land of Kedar. 
Has anyone ever heard of anything as strange as this? Has any nation ever traded its gods for new ones, even though they're not gods at all? Yet, my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. Okay, so search west to Cyprus, search east to Kedar, scan the horizon, search the earth. Tell me if you've ever heard anything crazy as this. My people have exchanged their glorious God to worship idols. Now at this time in history, people actually would worship small carved images. Uh, last week we talked, the, the prophet Isaiah last week delivered some rather sarcastic remarks uh, to people who, who sometimes do this. And I mean, he literally wrote, like, Isaiah was like, okay, let me, let me get this straight. You cut down a tree and you use some of the wood to heat your home and you use some of the wood to bake your bread and then you use some of the wood to carve an idol and worship it and ask it for help. What could you be thinking? Like, that is what... Isaiah said in the text we read last week. And to that, we would respond, well, yeah, man, what could they be thinking? We would never be that weird. We would never be that, you know, uh, immature. We would never be that primal in what we worship. We're, we're sophisticated people. We don't, we don't do that. And what we kind of came to last week was, actually, yes, we do. We, we're all still chasing Happy Meals. Anybody remember this from last week? We're still chasing Happy Meals. If you weren't here last week, you know, if you were a kid like I was in the 80s, you know, late 70s, early 80s, you remember the greatest marketing campaign that has ever been foisted upon a people group in the history of time. McDonald's' marketing campaign for the Happy Meal never, never before has a four-piece chicken nugget and a tiny little bag of fries been so attractive. Like, it's just, don't know how they did it, but they convinced, you know, a whole generation of kids that if they got this, then they would be happy. And of course, it was, it was the packaging, and it was the toy, and it was everything else. And do you know what Happy Meals did? Happy Meals actually did make kids happy. They did. That's, you were ready for the sucker punch. You were like, oh, the Happy Meal never made you happy. Actually, it did. Happy Meals make us happy. They just don't make us happy for long. Happy Meals do make us happy. They just don't make us happy for long. And what's happening is, as we've grown older and as we've become more advanced in years, it's not that we're, we're done chasing Happy Meals. It's that the Happy Meals just got bigger and more expensive. Now... You don't care about a little bag of chicken nuggets and a, and a thing of french fries. What you care about now is that brand new pickup truck. There's nothing wrong with that brand new pickup truck. It's beautiful. I hope you're happy with it. And, and I hope it, it makes you happy. But I know and you know it isn't going to make you happy for long. Some of you are driving a vehicle now. When you first got it, it was like, oh my gosh, it's the greatest thing ever. And you walked out of your house beaming at it. And now it's a couple of years later and you don't even see it. What is your current Happy Meal? What are you chasing? Yeah, it might, it might be the pickup truck. It might be a, 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 a better house. Maybe it's a, a larger apartment. You got a two-bedroom and you, you need that three-bedroom or you want a condo or something that's your own, a house, a second house. For some of you, the Happy Meal is a beach house. They just get bigger and, and then some of you right now, you're like, yeah. Like, the, they just get bigger and more expensive. And when you get one, it makes you happy. It just doesn't keep you happy. It doesn't make you happy for long. It's quick. It's fleeting. And so you replace it with another one, and you chase another one. And it might not be an object. That Happy Meal for you might be 
a goal that you're trying to hit. It could be a financial goal. It could be a career goal. Maybe you want that corner office. Maybe you want to get promoted. Maybe your happy meal is that next sexual conquest. Maybe your happy meal is some emotional state of mind or of being. Whatever it might be, there's something you're chasing that, that has God jealous. There's something you're chasing that God's looking at you going, oh, come on, man. And right here, you might be prepared for the old pastoral beatdown. Right? You might be getting ready to hear, how could you? You know, how could you, how could you spurn God's love like that? You ever heard a sermon like that? Oh, after all that Jesus did for you, after he died on the cross for you, how could you not? You know, just, and if you've ever heard, I've heard messages like that, and I just think that is base manipulation. The scriptures actually don't bear that out. As the scriptures observe human behavior, the scriptures don't deliver you're a terrible person and you need to do better and give more and serve more and pray more and like, come on, let's get, let's get with it. The scriptures actually don't bear that out. The scriptures don't say, how could you? The scriptures say, why would you? Why would you do this? Why would you choose to live your life, ch life ch chasing Happy Meals? Why would you do that? The next verse is from Jeremiah. Listen to this. The heavens are shocked at such a thing. My people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. The heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay, says the Lord. For my people have done two evil things. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. The heavens are shocked at such a thing and shrink back in horror and dismay. Have you ever seen something in your life that made you recoil in horror? Have you ever seen something that made you go, oh, I can't look. I don't even want to look. You ever seen something like that? And if you have a little, little human nature and you go, I can't look, but I want to look. I can't look, but I'll peek. We have a description here in the prophet Jeremiah of a heavenly host. Angels are watching human behavior, and there's something going on on earth that is making angels, making this heavenly host go, I can't look. I don't even want to watch. What could be happening on the earth that would cause the heavens to recoil in horror and dismay? My people have done two things, says the Lord. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. Now, a, the cistern thing we'll get to in a second. We have on the one hand a, a description of a fountain of living water. Have any of you in your life, anybody here ever dr drank water from a freshwater spring coming from the earth. Anyone ever done that? Yeah, a bunch of you, a few of you. The rest of you need to get outside. Okay, so um, I, I did once, one time. When I was in college, a friend and I went camping. We're up in the Adirondacks, and we took a long hike up what to me was a mountain. Somebody else would probably just call it a hill. To me, it was a mountain. It took us, shut up, it took us like two or three hours. Long hike, okay, and, and we did not bring enough water. 
So we had consumed all the water we brought, and we were thirsty. And we're, I mean, we're, you know, a long ways into this hike, sweaty and, and, and really thirsty. And we start to hear, we're way up, we're way, way up on this mountain, and we start to hear running water. And we're like, wow. So we followed, this, followed the sound and got to a stream and traced it back to its source. And I couldn't figure out why on earth, how is a, a spring coming from the earth at the top of a mountain? What is going on? I did some research and learned there are glacial lakes in those mountains, massive lakes up in those mountains that exert insane pressure on the water table. So they force water up out of the ground in other places. And then we got down on our stomachs and like just lapped. We found the pool where it was coming up out of the ground and drank from it. And it was the coldest purest, most amazing water I had ever tasted in my life. It didn't hurt that I was really thirsty, but I mean, it was amazing water. So here we have a fountain of living water coming up from the ground. My people have done two evil things, says the Lord. They have forsaken the fountain, so they basically said, yeah, that's awesome, no thanks. On this side, they have dug for themselves They have created for themselves cracked cisterns that can hold no water at all. A cistern is a primitive collection device for rainwater. So it's effectively a clay hole in the ground where you you would collect rainwater. Now, in, 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 in the climate, you know, the part of the world where these scriptures were written, it's very arid, and water, as it is everywhere on the earth, was and it continues to be very precious. So if rainwater was, was, could be collected, it was. They would dig cisterns and, and try to route rainwater into a cistern. Now even on a good day, even on, under perfect conditions, you would not want to drink from a cistern. Cistern water was what you and I might call gray water. It was used for washing. You might irrigate a field with it. You might give it to a pet. But you would never want to drink from a cistern, because in this climate, wherever water collects, every animal, insect, and frog is gonna find it. So cistern water was gross. It would have been enough if the prophet had said, my people have forsaken the fountain of living water and they dug a cistern and they're drinking cistern water. That would be crazy enough The prophet goes another step further and says they dug for themselves, not just they accessed, they dug. The people created for themselves a a system of catching water so that they could somehow nourish themselves, and it's cracked. It doesn't work. So now there's, have you ever seen like a a dry lake bed when it cracks? Like when when the, when the, the clay gets all cracked? So there's cracks all in the bottom of this cistern, and there are little pools of, of like muddy water, like, like filthy, excrement-ridden, you know, like, like bugs on top of it, gross, gross, gross water. And my people have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they've dug a hole in the ground, and they're trying to, to, to get down in this hole and, and lap up some of this filthy water, and the heavenly host recoils in horror. God is jealous, not of you, but for you, and wants you to return to him. And here we are going, but you know, this Happy Meal is really cool, dude. I mean, have you seen this Happy Meal? I've been after it for a while. Someday I'm going to get it. God doesn't go, how could you? God just goes, why would you? 
Why would you? Can you not see it? Can't you see? Can't you see that even if you had it, it would only make you happy for a minute or two? Can't you see that you're wasting the opportunities you've been given? Can't you see that there's living water waiting for you? That I, the Lord, have initiated, walked across the dance floor and said, come on, let's go. Get out of the mud puddle. Ask the question. Were you here last week from the, when we heard from Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah? Let, let me read these verses to you again in case you missed last week. Listen to this. The poor, Isaiah chapter 44. The poor, deluded fool feeds on ashes. He trusts something that can't help him at all. Yet he cannot bring himself to ask, is this idol that I'm holding in my hand a lie? Isaiah and Jeremiah, two different prophets writing for two different people groups, are saying something very similar. This fool feeds on ashes. He's eating ash. So like an extinguished campfire. The campfire has gone out and grown cold and there's ash. And there's a banquet, like there's food over here. And he's eating ash. And, and, and there's a fountain of living water coming up over here, and, and, and we're over here sipping from mud puddles. This dichotomy comes at us in two different forms from two different prophets. And the guy eating the ash, the poor deluded fool, what's his deal? He's not eating the ash. He's not cramming this stuff into his mouth because he has sampled the feast and, and prefers the ash. He's not said, oh, I'll have some of this, and then I'll have some of this, and saying, I think this is better. He's a fool because he can't bring himself to ask. He just doesn't have the guts. He doesn't have the courage to look inward and say, is my life being lived on purpose? Am I living my life on purpose? Am I, am I living to the purpose to which God called me? Am I responding to the invitation that I've been given or am I just living my life for that next happy meal? It's not that he said, I like this better than the feast. He can't bring himself to ask. And some of us are right there. Some of you are right there. And you cloak this, you cloak this conversation in, in, in a drape of busyness. And you say, I can't think about this stuff. I'm so busy. I got a lot going on. Man, I would love to let all of us off the hook. But you're accountable for your life. You're accountable. God's called you into something beautiful and glorious. And for some of you, you come right to the edge of it, don't you? You come right to the edge of it. You, you, you come here and, and, and you're stirred and you think and, and you go, man, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta think about this. And Maybe, maybe the Lord has a plan for me, and maybe there's a place in my life where I haven't yielded to him, and maybe there's something I need to do, and maybe I need to respond to this invitation, and these thoughts begin to form, and then you know what happens? A new show comes out on Netflix. That new season of Yellowstone hits, and you're like, oh, I have to see that. And you gave eight hours of your life last week to a TV show. You gave a whole work day last week to a TV show. Some of you are like, yeah, I did that in three nights, buddy. <laughs> Disclaimer, nothing wrong with Yellowstone, nothing wrong with Netflix, love the show, love the, I, I, 
I'm with you. With you. <laughs> but if you're too busy to think about what your life is being lived for, if you're too consumed with the happy meals and the entertainment, with what you're entertaining yourself with and what you are acquiring, with what you are feeding yourself through the television screen and through, through YouTube and through TikTok videos and through whatever other media you are consuming, if you are too busy consuming all these other things to ask, he can't, this person being described in the scriptures, don't be that person. He can't bring himself to ask, is this a good idea? He'll never ask the question. He doesn't have the courage. Because if he asked it, he might have to answer it. If he asked it, he might have to make some changes. If he asked the question, he might realize his life isn't being lived on purpose. He might, re he might realize, he or she might realize that their life is just being lived by accident. That they're just being consumed by how busy they are and they're wasting the days they were given. You have been invited into a vast, amazing story. You get to glorify God with your days. You, you were made for more than processing oxygen and watching television and acquiring another happy meal. You're free to do that with your life, but you're just consuming ashes. There are so, there's so much good waiting for you. There are so many better things waiting for you if you will respond to God's invitation. So what I want to do as we wrap up this message and as we wrap up this series is give you a minute. We're going to receive communion in just a moment as we, we wrap this thing up. So I'm going to invite you to uh, go ahead and, if you, if you want, you don't have to take communion, but if you'd like to, take a moment. James is going to come out, play us a little music. And I'm just going to give you 30 seconds or a minute to reflect on what God might be saying to you on where in your life you might need to make a change, on where in your life you might need to yield to him and, and, and respond to that invitation and glorify God with your life, love the world around you and serve the world around you to turn your life into, into something outward bound. You will never regret the day that you do. It really is so much better than chasing the next happy meal. And now, and when you do, Honestly, the Happy Meals get even better. They come, they go, you find one, you don't find one. It doesn't matter because you're not after happy, you're after joy. And joy is what lives inside of you now. So when you find a Happy Meal, it just propels you into praising Him even more. That's what I hope for myself, and that's what I hope for each of you. So take a moment now, close your eyes, bow your heads, and let's reflect on what God might want to do in with and through us in this season.
And with that, I'll invite you to open up the top of your little communion packet and take out the wafer. And in the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, broken for you, for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this and remember me. The body of Christ. Now you can unpeel the other side. And after the same manner, when he had given thanks, he took the cup and he gave it to them saying, take and drink. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, poured out for you for the forgiveness of all your sins. Do this and remember me, the blood of Christ. Father, we love you. We do. And we just admit together that we have chased a lot of stupid stuff in our ears. We've chased a lot of things that never would and never could make us really happy. All the while, keeping you on hold, keeping you at arm's distance, ignoring the great invitation. Cause us, Father, to think differently. Give us courage enough to ask the question, what is our life really being lived for? What are we about? Help us, Father, to respond, to say yes, to jump in with you, to live our lives for your glory, to honor you, to love the world around us and serve the world around us. May that be true in my life. May that be true in all of our lives. We pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give, or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word True North to 77977 on your cell phone and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.